Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. Partly cloudy skies. Welcome to this Tuesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, Monday, yesterday, early person voting began for the June 9th primary. It will last for three weeks until June 5th, but there are problems. I feel as though people are relaxing uh, with regard to the seriousness of this pandemic. And so what I want to do is balance the public health with processing voters as safely as possible. A conversation with Fulton County's election director, Richard Barron. That's coming up in just a moment. In other news, in response to the killing of Ahmaud Arbery, the Atlanta NAACP is calling for an investigation into the, quote, history of inequality in the criminal justice system of Georgia, as they say demonstrated in the Glen and Waycross Georgia circuits. Clearly, there's an indication of law enforcement misconduct from these two DAs, but they are not alone. We hope that America, Georgia, should recognize its inherent racism from the governor's mansion, from Chatsworth to St. Mary's, from Carrollton to Augusta, all over this state. And let's take a real look and try to find justice and correct the wrongs that have been meted out against black men and women uh, for hundreds of years. That's what we hope to happen. Do we, uh, are we hopeful? No, but we will keep agitating and advocating for that. That's Atlanta NAACP President Richard Rose. Now, Rose was also joined by lawyers for the Arbery family. Lee Merritt is part of the legal team representing the family. It is important to know that this is not constrained to the events of February 23rd. The injustice, the greatest injustice in this case was not only the brutal murder of Ahmaud Arbery, but the response by the legal apparatus of South Georgia. They responded as if his life didn't matter. Now we'll have more updates on this case on tomorrow's edition of Closer Look. I'll be joined by attorney Benjamin Crump, who also represents Arbery's family. In other news, as of 9 a.m. today, there are 38,624 confirmed COVID-19 cases. The number of deaths statewide is reported to be 1,649. There are 7,002 hospitalized. That's all according to the Georgia Department of Public Health as of 9 a.m. today. This is Closer Look. This is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. This is the final day of our spring fundraising drive. So if you've been holding off on making your donation, now's the time. If you've already given, thank you. But don't go anywhere because this break will be short. If you have not had a chance to give yet and you can't afford to, please go to wabe.org slash donate. Joining me now is WABE's director of radio and television, John Haas. That's WABE.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. You listen to WABE and you value us. Now it's time to support us. As Rose said, this is the last day of our fundraising drive, so it's important that we hear from you right now. Go to WABE.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. That's wabe.org slash donate. And thanks to all of the listeners who've already donated to WABE. Listeners like Cherie Taylor and Sugar Hill. She writes, I'm unemployed after a COVID-19 related layoff, but I'm blessed to have food to eat and security of savings and want to share what I can. And that's incredibly thoughtful and generous of you, Cherie. We appreciate her support, but now it's time for you to step up. If you can afford to give, please do so right now at wabe.org slash donate. 
or call 678-553-9090. We need your help because 84% of our funding comes from the Atlanta community. That's folks just like you. Please consider a sustaining gift of $15 a month. That's the average gift from our members. Just go to wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Closer Look returns in about 30 seconds. Thanks so much for your help. Again, please give at 678-553-9090. Or at wabe.org slash donate. It only takes a couple minutes to complete your donation. $15 a month will help keep Closer Look going. Visit wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Thanks. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Monday, yesterday, early person voting began for the June 9th primary. It will last for about three weeks until June 5th. There are fewer early voting polling locations due to the COVID-19 pandemic, and there were reports of long lines and long wait times. We'll get to that in just a moment. During this time, voters will be required to stand six feet apart from each other and will be provided hand sanitizer. Poll workers are equipped with masks and gloves. This is just one issue election officials throughout Georgia's counties are dealing with. And, of course, there are new voting machines this election season as well. Let's check in right now with one of the largest counties, Fulton. Richard Barron is Fulton County's Director of Registration and Elections, and he joins me. Director Barron, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the invitation. I like like coming on here. (laughs) Very few people say that. Let's begin with day one from Monday. What did you hear from polling location workers? What concerns do you have just from one day? Well, we had lines yesterday um, at our South Annex, C.T. Martin, and Alpharetta uh, facilities. Uh, Garden Hills Elementary didn't have a line, and neither did Sandy Springs during the day. The heavy turnout were at the two south locations and the far north location. We are limiting the number of people that can be in the polling place in those locations. And both, I think at CT Martin and at South Annex, we're we're open nine to 4.30 at all the locations, but at those two locations in particular, they had lines form, start forming about an hour before the polls opened. So by the time the poll workers opened the polls, they already had uh, 40 to 50 people in line. And the same thing is happening again this morning. Well, that depending on how you look at it, uh, we know that folks are getting out, exercising their right to vote. The other side of that is what concerns do you have with these long wait times? Because we had reports of over at Adamsville Recreation Center where there is a large percentage of older voters who were standing, uh, no chairs. What concerns do you have for today? Yeah, we, for a while yesterday, the facility at C.T. Martin, they are feeding children. And so there are concerns with the, between the facility and us using voter, uh, using that facility as a early voting site between mixing the voters with the children that are being fed breakfast and lunch. But didn't folks know this, Director Barron? Didn't folks know you were going to have early voting and that this was also a location to be used to to feed folks? It seems like there's a disconnect somewhere. I was unaware about the the, feeding that this was going on. The feeding school children there was going on. But Whose job is it to know and communicate to folks we might have a potential conflict? We have two events going on. Both are very important, obviously. Yeah, it was our understanding that the facility was closed and that we were going to be the only tenant, I guess, in there. None of that came up in our discussions that we were going to be sharing the facility. So... um, but that's a reality, I guess, that we have to deal with at this point. So yesterday, the bathrooms apparently weren't, nobody was being allowed to use the bathrooms, which we, we got the city's help to, um, to alleviate that issue. And the facility wanted the voters waiting outside because we were sharing it with, with children. So we, and then the, the city ended up providing 
uh, chairs for people to sit in as the day went on as well. Who's um, responsible? We are going to move to a different room in that facility uh, probably by the end of the day today, if not during the day today, we will move into a, a larger room. We're making trying to make a determination. We're going to have a, an emergency border registration elections meeting this morning to determine the number of voting machines we're going to put in there and how many people are going to be allowed to wait in line. There is a push which I think risks public health. 67 people were infected in the Wisconsin election in the city of Milwaukee um, on April 7th, either through voting or working at the polls. That concerns me that my main concern is that the, at this point, is the health of my poll workers that have to be exposed in a room for 16 straight days or 16 out of 19 days during this early voting period we are protecting them with face shields face masks gloves sanitizer but those same precautions are being taken at other places and you're still seeing it, it mitigates the infection risk but it all it, it you're still seeing at indoor facilities uh, transmission of the virus and it I feel as though people are relaxing uh, with regard to the seriousness of this pandemic and so what I want to do is balance the public health with processing voters as safely as possible you're talking about the voters and you can't require them to enter with masks or to have gloves correct Correct. Most of them are wearing masks. Um, we've had, you know, there are a few people that will show up and they they say it's their right not to wear a mask. And, you know, all you need is one person. And, and it's my understanding, the masks that you, if you wear a mask, you're protecting the people around you. It, and it does help you somewhat, but masks don't really protect you against somebody without a mask that coughs or sneezes uh, and D director baron it, let me pause you for a second because you can understand someone listening saying look not just fulton county but all of the counties and the secretary of state's office you all postponed the primary twice we knew that you knew there was a pandemic why was were these concerns not brought up? Were there, was, was there no conversation about what do we do if we have long lines? How do we, what preventive measures do we need to take? This shouldn't have I been a, have, this shouldn't have been a, have a, a been, go ahead. I get in every, every interview that I've done, I have made it clear that if you vote in person in this election, you will have to wait in line because we have fewer early voting sites. We were we had planned on having 22 to 24 permanent sites for this election. We have five. Um, I think right now Cobb has one open, Gwinnett has two. I'm unsure about DeKalb. Um, we still have five locations open. We, were, we would have had outreach sites open as well. We've had, we've received a close to a hundred and a little over 130,000 ballot by mail applications. Mm -hmm. If all of those people return their, their ballots, we will exceed the turnout in the 2016 general primary by a long shot. Um, at about 106,000 ballots, we will equal the primary, general primary turnout if, if that many are returned. Um, yesterday, I was informed that we only received 925 um, absentee by mail ballots in the general primary in 2016 and mm -hmm. right now we've already processed about per, through this morning probably about 115,000 applications. We've got a few challenges. One is that we have fewer early voting sites. We've lost now we're down to 167 election day sites. 
uh, we we continue to lose polling places by the day. Um, we were, were down from 198 on election day. And then we have been asked to run a ballot by mail election. Um, normally for a presidential, we might get 30,000 ballots. We're gonna probably, we're gonna triple or quadruple that for this election. And then we still have to get our polling places ready in the same manner that we have before. So we're essentially running an extra election that we haven't done before. So we've been trying to allocate resources to accommodate these extra duties that we're being tasked with. And we're more than happy to do that. It's just been, we, we just have been running into some challenges. And it seems like since the state has basically reopened, the, the concern over the pandemic to me has started to subside amongst people. And so I, I am, I'm concerned for my poll workers. So what can All you do? What, conversations what? did happen border registration and elections meetings. I mean, we did talk, say that there would be lines if people voted in person. I mean, I've been clear about that from the start. So, Director Barron, what is the solution here for you? We are looking to maybe open earlier at those five locations. That's going to be one of the things we'll talk about on the BRE meeting. One of the, and uh, we, if we move into a larger space in CT Martin, we will expand the number of ballot marking devices there and we will be able to check in um, more voters. The risk there is that we will be snaking people in line and so there will be more people in, a, in an enclosed space. They might be six feet apart, but you are gonna have more people in an enclosed space in line. And so we have, um, one of our board members works for the CDC. So I, I really want to get her input on this as to how how she feels with regard to this, because I think we need her expertise. Well, what about the Fulton County Department of Health or just the Georgia Department of Health to assist you yeah, with this? Yeah, we'll, I'm going to bring that up with the county today, too, because yesterday when we spoke with county management, uh, no one from the Department of Health was on that call. So it, it was put together rather quickly at the end of the day. Um, but I do, uh, I, I, I wanna be responsible with regard to the people that work for me and the people that are showing up at the polling places. If you're just joining us, I'm joined by Richard Barron, Fulton County's Director of Registration and Elections. And we should note that the lovely nature sounds that you hear is because Mr. Barron is outside um, and we really appreciate you taking the time. This is a problem that if you all can't come up with a solution you have till June 5th that this will continue. Yeah we'll we'll have a solution today. We've discussed some things uh, with the staff and with county executive management um, yesterday afternoon and this morning and um, I just want to meet with my board before we move forward with what we're planning, I think at the South Annex, we're gonna expand into another room. CT Martin, we're gonna move into another room. We will expand somewhere in Alpharetta Library. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, it seems like Garden Hills, we have enough room there, Garden Hills Elementary, and at Sandy Springs Library, we have a large enough space there and the turnout at those two locations. I think what we need to do is probably open earlier because lines are forming at two of the five locations well over an hour before the polls open. Can you make that decision as the Fulton County Director? I can, and that is usually what I do is approve the, the hours and the locations get approved by the board. Will you speak with Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger about any of this? Um, I had no plans to do that, no. Do you think that they we, should we, be aware? We looked at their, we, they issued an official elections bulletin, and on that bulletin it gives the guidelines for polling places, and in one of those, one of the things that it mentions is limiting the number of people that can be inside a polling place. So that's one of, one of my concerns. 
How do you feel Fulton is set for June 9th, given what's already taken place just on day one? We have 32 less locations than we anticipated. Mm -hmm. And that the rate we're going, I expect to probably lose another seven to eight locations by that time. The locations that we are losing, in most cases, are churches. Uh, We've lost all of our, of course, senior assisted living centers and any, any location that serves seniors, and that's understandable. Well, did they replace those locations that you lost with other locations? We've either had to consolidate or we've tried to move them to a find another location within that precinct. In some precincts, we don't have the options. And in other cases, it's easier for us to consolidate it at a nearby location that exists already. Does that mean you'll probably have to open earlier, too, on June 9th? Well, on June 9th, we'll be open 7 to 7 mm-hmm. because that's Election Day, and it's that is governed by statute, the, the hours. Um, so it'll be 7 to 7 on June 9th. We decided to open 9 to 4.30 during early voting to mitigate risk to our poll workers, to limit their exposure during the 16 days that we were going to be open. Do you feel confident you'll have enough poll workers for June for election day? We we have the numbers for of poll workers, but the issue is um, that we in some areas we have too many, and in other areas we don't have any. Hmm. We're trying to move poll workers around. And if they're willing to do that, then we'll be fine with poll worker numbers. With regard to early voting, we had a lot of people that expressed interest in working, but two of the three committed people that we contacted yesterday to help out at the polls declined because of concerns over the virus. Well, do you have openings? Do you encourage people to apply right now? Yes, we can. I mean... Yeah, in case we do need people, um, we I mean, we have a pool of workers and we're beginning to contact more of them. I don't know that we will open up any more sites in week three. We had planned on just doing the five locations for the three weeks. Uh, I think some of the other counties are just doing one location or two locations for the first two weeks, and then they're expanding to uh, somewhere between five and eight in in the final week we are doing a 25 percent extra hazard pay i don't know what exactly what the hourly rates are but Mm -hmm. they can inquire at happy faces in in order to find that out before we wrap up director baron i want to get some clarity about the absentee ballots if a voter has not received their absentee ballot and we've heard reports that some haven't that that's why they're coming to the polls for early voting. One of the things that uh, we received a bunch of calls yesterday, um, surprisingly, a lot of people, because the, the ballots that have been mailed, uh, they all have the date of May 19th, 2020 on them. So a lot of people are, are confused uh, with regard to the date of the election. The ballots have the original election date on them, and they do not reflect June 9th as being election day. So we've had a lot of people with ballots that want to cancel their ballots because they think election day is today. It was delayed. Um, I'm unsure of the reason that the ballots, the date wasn't changed, but that's how it is. And so there is confusion with regard to that. If you have not received your ballot by mail, you can call uh, 404-612-7060 and make an inquiry as we are work, we, we have caught up with all of the ballots we received through the Postal Service. We've caught up with all of the faxed applications. We have two email addresses that that applications went to Uh, We are caught up with one of them, and we are working to um, 
catch up on the final one. Some voters opted to scan in the the request for an absentee ballot. I have emails from listeners saying I haven't even received a response. Yeah, there is no res- that box apparently from the way it is set up there is no confirmation email that goes out the only way a confirmation can be received is if it's faxed Uh, the group email box uh, from my understanding is has it does not allow for a confirmation email to be sent out how will folks know (laughs) they can well they can go to the my voter page uh, Secretary of State's My Voter page and check to see the status. Uh, one, uh, one of the things is a lot of the, the ballots have been mailed. They are being mailed from Arizona. What the process happened is that Why the are state they coming from out, Arizona? Well, the state mailed out all the absentee ballot applications, which was appreciated by all of the counties. We Because they took on that expense. They then... Uh, then we process the applications. Uh, the state contracted with Runbeck. Uh, they are out of Arizona to do this mailing project. So once the counties enter those applications and an issue date is set by that data entry, then the mailing house mails the ballots. and. We know that it's taking at least seven days after that issue date for ballots to arrive in Georgia. And I've heard up to 14 days. Director Barron, how much confidence do you have in the system and come June 9th? I I think that this has been a challenge unlike one we've ever had. I think that we will the, the ballots are going to arrive. Um, I think all of us have had, you know, Oregon, uh, Washington, California, Colorado, those states are professionals at ballot by mail. They've been, Oregon's been doing it for 20 years and they don't even have polling places. So, and some of those states in the West warned everyone that, you know, it, it, it is not going to go smoothly your first ballot by mail election if you change overnight. There were plenty of articles out there that said it isn't and and I think we've got some growing pains with it. The counties are going to take over mailing in the last next week. The counties will take over mailing the ballots for the for the run up to the June 5th deadline and I think that is going to help get ballots out quicker. Uh, we have, um, and we're, we might take it over before the state, the state's deadline with the, the third party mailer, because at Fulton County, we have a, um, a big mailing machine that can sort and fold and put postage on and get it ready for us. And finally, with all these challenges, issues, problems, whatever you want to call it, that we've just been discussing. Director Barron, could the Secretary of State's office been, could have been more helpful in alleviating some of these problems and potential problems? Because you all have had ample time to prepare. I don't think it was the Secretary of State's. uh, I think the Secretary of State is restricted by, there are some state laws out there that really don't provide for any flexibility in this matter. So my i think the the main challenge for me has been that we have taken on a ballot by mail application and still had to to commit to early voting and election day so our resources now are split between three different paths where before ballot by mail was a at the most five percent of the turnout and now we didn't nothing we aren't seeing anything our our commitment to election day and early voting we have reduced sites but we still have to prepare for those sites in the same manner so we still have resources 
that could have been directed towards absentee by mail, but they're being directed towards our traditional ways to vote. And it that that has been a challenge for us because we still have a large pool of workers at our warehouse that are preparing for election day. Um, and I think had we committed fully to ballot by mail for this election, we could have moved all of those resources into ballot by mail. And that would have alleviated a lot of our issues. In-person early voting continues until June 5th. The primary is June 9th. Richard Barron, Fulton County's Director of Registration and Elections. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. We'll check back in with you throughout this whole process. Yeah, please do. I, I like coming on the show. I like the questions. Um, and I always appreciate the time. Thank you. Take care. This is Closer Look, and I am Rose Scott, and we're in the final day of our fundraising drive, so please support us if you can at wabe.org slash donate. We're keeping these breaks very short to get you right back to Closer Look, but right now we do need your help. Joining me now is WABE's Director of Radio and Television, John Haas. Hey, Rose. You know, we really do need your help right now. So please go to wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Your donation helps us bring you all the latest news about the coronavirus, the 2020 election, the Ahmaud Arbery murder investigation, and so much more. And we do this every day with no rant, no slant, and no hype. On WABE, we provide the information and context, and you make the decisions based on that information. But today, we do need you to make another important decision. Become a WABE member. To make that happen, give right now at wabe.org donate. You can also call us at 678-553-9090. As you know, Closer Look is always here for you. We bring you great interviews every day and allow you to connect to the rest of your Atlanta community and beyond. You rely on us. Now we're relying on you to make a donation. Please give right now at wabe.org slash donate. We need your donation because 84% of our funding comes from the Atlanta community. Many of our listeners give $15 a month, but please donate what you feel you can afford at wabe.org slash donate or with a call to 678-553-9090. So Closer Look is about 30 seconds away. Thank you so much to everyone who has helped us today. And now it's time to hear from you. We're wrapping up our spring fundraising drive today. So please donate at 678-553-9090. And as always, thank you. Or at wabe.org slash donate. It only takes a couple minutes to give. And if you're already a sustaining member of WABE, please consider giving an additional gift if you can. Even a few dollars more each month will really help us during these challenging times. Make your donation by calling 678 678- 553 or go to wabe.org slash donate. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Earlier this month, the Atlanta City Council unanimously approved a resolution with a mission to provide resources for the city's unsheltered population during this pandemic. Now, the resolution notes the pandemic has, quote, increased the number of those individuals who are experiencing homelessness to congregate overnight at the airport for the purposes of staying sheltered. Well, now the Atlanta City Council has a plan. And joining me now to talk more about this from District 3, Atlanta City Council member Antonio Brown. 
Councilman Brown, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Always good to talk to you. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure to speak with you, and, and thank you for having me on. Uh, I think this is so important. You've been doing a lot during this pandemic. I understand that you have been making masks and you've been passing them out to residents in your district. Yeah, um, so we um, probably about a month into the pandemic, we found a N95 mask manufacturer and glove manufacturer, and we started working to get these masks and gloves specifically originally to the unsheltered population at the airport. Uh, because we realized that there was not enough surplus in the city to mask and glove the unsheltered population. And then now it's just kind of evolved from there to us getting masks into the communities, into some of our uh, low-income communities to help our residents need it the most. Do you think Governor Kemp should have waited before he allowed some businesses to reopen? I do. Um, I do believe that, and I've expressed that several times to his administration and staff because the reality is the businesses in which he chose to open first and they're businesses that are primarily frequent by african americans and given that unfortunately black and brown people have been disproportionately impacted by COVID 19 you know i just didn't think it was the right decision and i wasn't sure if he was disconnected from the reality of of the impact of the virus mm-hmm. um, or whether or not he just, you know, he just did not have the right people in his ear telling him why this is not a good idea. Because if you follow the data, COVID positive test uh, residents increased the moment he reopened Georgia. And not only did it increase, but um, you saw gatherings of like 50 to 100, if not more, begin to happen immediately. And most of them had no mask on, no gloves. It was almost as if there was no virus. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was extremely unfortunate to see. We've seen reports of an increase in folks seeking shelter at the airport. This legislation will address that. But before we get to that, this is not new, Councilman Brown. You and I both know, as well as probably everyone listening to this conversation, uh, Atlanta's plight in terms of trying to address Atlanta's unsheltered, quite frankly, Atlanta's homeless. It is not new. Unfortunately, I think when I got involved at the airport, working with the nonprofit organization, Hope Atlanta, that is providing the on-site support and actually matriculating these individuals into emergency housing and care, before I got involved, there was not much attention you know, happening the issue was becoming so egregious that it's what uh, prompted me to try to figure out how do I get council members together? How do we do an on-site inspection and evaluation? But it's definitely not a new circumstance and the unsheltered have have been sleeping at the airport for years. Um, And I know several people who have covered it over the last four years and spoke about how bad it was getting. And that's why I appreciate this plan so much is because it sets in motion a way for us to not just address the unsheltered population, but also still provide them the care, the support, the mask, the gloves, the testing to help them get out of the situation. When I was physically at the airport, we started interviewing some of the unsheltered, the homeless that was at the airport. and some of them were there because they had just lost their job because of COVID-19. And they were literally a paycheck already away from being homeless. How long ago so was this that? Wa- this was maybe about a month and a half ago when we did the on-site inspection and evaluation. It was President Moore, it was Councilmember Westmoreland, Councilmember Dickens that joined me for this meeting with Hope Atlanta, APD, John Selden, the GM of the airport, And we just talked through this, like, hey, how do we solve this issue? Because there were several factors that were contributing to the increased number of unsheltered at the airport. I mean, you had a martyr train service that was running till 1 a.m. into the airport, and the unsheltered population would congregate on that last 
train service into the airport and basically would be stuck at the airport because there would be no access to public transportation from that point until I believe around 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. So they would literally have to stay at the airport. And the GM was so compassionate. John Selden was so compassionate. He's like, it's no way that we're going to force these folks out of the airport when they have nowhere to go, nor do they have access to public transportation to get somewhere else. Well, let me read something to you because Closer Look reached out to the airport uh, specifically about this legislation. A spokesperson said, quote, The number of residentially challenged persons at the airport has been extremely low for the past several weeks. Now, Councilmember Brown, would you agree with that assessment? So, yes, I would agree with that assessment. And and there are several factors that have contributed to why the unsheltered population has decreased. One reason why we put the five-step plan in place for the uh, homeless population that were congregating at the airport was because we realized that we needed a coordinated effort amongst APD, MARTA, the airport, Hope Atlanta, so that we could uh, address the unsheltered population and move them into one of the hotels, either the healthy hotel that was stood up by the executive order that the mayor put in place with the $1.5 million, or the isolation hotel for those that tested positive for COVID-19, we would move them to that hotel until they got better. Before this, what was happening is there wasn't a lot of coordination and, and Hope Atlanta was struggling to get the unsheltered population that was coming into the airport, get them back into the airport before they were moved away or not allowed to come into the airport. And that was what was originally causing the decrease individuals being able to come into the airport, whether that was APD or MARTA or any other entity that was working to combat the number of individuals coming in and out of the airport because it was becoming a safety issue for travelers and the unsheltered weren't masked or gloved. So you have travelers coming through the airport that, you know, that, 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 that was being exposed to Uh, the unsheltered population in which at the time we didn't know because they had not been tested whether or not they were asymptomatic carriers, whether or Mm -hmm. not they were COVID-19 positive or not. When you say entities, Councilman Brown, are you referring to the MARTA police, airport police? Yeah, I think it was a collective effort at one point where MARTA that had instituted a plan, they had put a plan in place if there was an unsheltered person on the train that did not have a ticket and they were heading to the airport, they would remove them from the train and or connect them with Hope Atlanta. But that was creating some issues for Hope Atlanta because here is an organization that has been on the ground at the airport for the last three months and they were building relationships with these unsheltered individuals. They were instilling trust back into them that they were going to assist them and help them and move them into care. And it was hard for Hope Atlanta to really address this population because they weren't being allowed back into the airport, which is why you notice in the plan, we made the recommendation to change the operating hours in the airport. We stopped it at 6 p.m. as opposed to the 11 p.m. cutoff in which if you did not have a ticket or you weren't coming to meet a passenger, or you were not an employee of the airport or the airline, you were not allowed into the airport. We brought that time down to 6 p.m. because we understood that if there was someone that was refusing care or services, it would give us the opportunity to still move them into public transportation to be able to get from the airport to some other means of emergency care and services that that they chose. The voice you hear is Atlanta City Council member Antonio Brown. We're talking about the City Council's 60-day outreach plan for the city's unsheltered population. Have you all identified the steps that you will take to help folks then? Does it begin with masks and gloves? It's, It's a, again, it's a concerted effort. And where this effort starts is, one, we looked at amending the operating hours of the airport from 11 p.m. to 6 p.m. to give the unsheltered population who were who was refusing care and services to be able to get back on public transportation and get to 
a place where they can either sleep or maybe have their their needs addressed in a, in another way or mm-hmm. through another organization. The second part of it was um, manufacture masks and gloves, get them to the unsheltered population. So at least if they had not been tested, the likelihood of them being able to spread the virus was a lot lesser of an opportunity if they were masks and gloves. So that was the second part of it, which we've already done. We gave over 400 masks and gloves. We donated them to Hope Atlanta to disseminate amongst the unsheltered population. The third part of this was providing an on-site counseling service for more of the egregious population that was struggling with mental health, behavioral health issues, and substance abuse issues that were also congregating at the airport because they seemed to be a bit more challenged when it came to being receptive to receiving care and support services Mm -hmm. um, that were being offered by Hope Atlanta. And then the fourth step of the plan was for the individuals that were choosing to matriculate into emergency care services and housing or the hotel that was being provided, um, you know, we wanted to make sure that they were tested before they were transported. And that was super important because if we begin to transport them and then test them, we were putting safety workers, employees, mm-hmm. folks at risk of contracting COVID-19. And where were, so these, folks, was, where were these folks going to stay? Councilmember so, so, so there's been two hotels that have been established, mm-hmm. one through executive order from the mayor and the other hotel that was established by the state, which became the isolation hotel. Mm. How long can the city sustain this? And I'm I'm quite sure there's a cost to this as well. Yeah, you know, um, we, in the beginning of COVID-19, we allocated funds mm-hmm. from the city's reserve to address a lot of what was transpiring. In addition to that, the mayor and the administration was able to match some of those funds through philanthropic dollars to help continue this. And I believe what is happening now will continue in some form or another when we are dealing with the unsheltered population, whether that is in the airport or that somewhere else, we are figuring out proactive solutions, sustainable solutions with addressing them and also figuring out how we can continue to support those that are refusing care and services and how we can move those that want care and services immediately into (laughs) some form of housing and care. District 3 Atlanta City Council member Antonio Brown, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Yes, it was such a pleasure, Rose. Thanks for always considering me. That's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Shelly Canavy. If you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 8 p.m. And listen whenever you want, because Closer Look is now available as a podcast. Just visit NPR One or your favorite streaming app and subscribe. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. This is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. We're fundraising today, but we'll keep this as short as possible. So please stay with us right now. And please support us if you can at wabe.org slash donate. Joining me now is WABE's director of radio and television, John Haas. WABE.org slash donate or 678-553-9090. Your donation right now helps pay for all the critical news and information you get on WABE. And this is the very last day of the drive. So please give right now at WABE.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Thanks to listeners who've already made their donation. Folks like Rebecca Fernandez in Atlanta. She says, happy to be able to increase our sustaining gift. Access to accurate news is more valuable than ever. Thank you for all you do. 
Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you for all you've done. Sustaining members like her allow us to plan ahead so we know what our budget will look like. And wow, when sustaining members chip in extra money, it means a lot. It helps us reach even further. It's why we were able to launch a national call-in show called America Amplified, Life, Community, and COVID-19. Guess what? I'm co-hosting the show this Saturday from 3 to 5 p.m. What are we talking about? Well, we'll look at the pandemic's effect on communities of color, and we'll also examine the economic cost of our canceled summer plans. Be sure to tune in this Saturday at 3 p.m. But right now, we need your donation to help pay for this important programming. If you're already a sustaining member of WABE, please consider giving a little bit more, an additional gift, just like Rebecca Fernandez did. Just go to WABE.org slash donate. Or call us at 678-553-9090. It's important we hear from you right now on this final day of our member drive because 84% of our funding comes from the Atlanta community. Many of our listeners donate about $15 a month, but please give what you feel you can afford at wabe.org slash donate or with a call to 678-553-9090. Today is the final day. In fact, this is the final break and closer look where we'll ask you for your support. So if you can afford to give and you've been thinking about doing so, do it right now. Please give. Call us at 678-553-9090. Again, 678-553-9090. And as always, I say thank you. Thank you to everyone who's made a donation so far. And to those who are still thinking about it, go ahead and do it. WABE.org slash donate. We need you, Atlanta. We especially hope to hear from those of you who are in a position to give $100 or more each month. That would make you a Cornerstone member. And you'll get some great access to WABE events and even a chance to meet some of our on-air personalities down the road. That's a sustaining gift of $100 or more each month to become a Cornerstone member. Just go to WABE.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. And thanks. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.